In a very comprehensive feature, which has been appearing in newspapers associated with the Tour Star Empire, so you can find it in the Toronto Star, also the Hamilton Spectator, amongst others, three investigative journalists compare the situation in Ontario with the rise of mostly white nationalists and neo-Nazis and people like that to a grenade where the pin's been pulled, but somebody's still holding on to it. Uh, Steve Cornwell and Karina Walter collaborated with my next guest, Grant LaFleche, on this. And actually, we're only looking at part one. This is going to be uh, a series. Grant LaFleche, it's nice to have you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, so give us the, the broad strokes, and I guess starting with what you know drove you to do such a deep dive on the issue and what you found. Well, I mean, and I'm sure you guys have done this on air as well. I mean, every year the police put out statistics on uh, hate crimes, and what has most news organizations have noted in the last several years is that every year the number of hate crimes or at least hate incidences reported by police to, to Statistics Canada has been on the rise, dramatically so. So we wanted to take a hard look at um, exactly what was happening, why it was happening, and who was being impacted by it. And then, as you noted, that was sort of part one, which was yesterday. And in today's paper, uh, papers, uh, we're looking at what can be done about it. Okay, so what kind of incidents are we talking about here? Um, it, it, well, when you talk about hate incidences or hate crimes, there's really sort of two broad uh, buckets of stuff you're looking at. One is a hate incident. So that could be, uh, you know, you're a, a person from a racialized community or you're from the LGBTQ community and you're at line in the store and somebody uh, attacks you with a slur or something. Right. Um, so something that doesn't that, that is absolutely uh, a manifestation of, of bigotry or racism or hatred, but doesn't necessarily rise to the level of a hate crime, which is which are very narrowly defined in the criminal code. And then you've got hate crimes, which fall under two categories of the criminal code um, that are really uh, narrowly defined. So, that, I mean, and that can be anything from uh, vandalism to assault uh, to uh, arson. It just depends what the motivation of that particular uh, crime is. But if it's motivated by racism or by hatred, then it can uh, result in a hate crime charge by police. Okay, so how much of this activity is necessary? You know, is coordinated? I guess uh, there is a rise, for example, of the Proud Boys. Well, it's it, you know what's interesting is there there certainly are networks of this stuff. I mean, there was a side piece, and it was it was referenced in yesterday's uh, story as well that we we published the day before, which was we've seen the rise of full on white nationalist neo Nazi groups. They're part of a, a large network that calls itself White Lives Matter. They, their hub is on the social media platform Telegram. But in places like Hamilton and Toronto, uh, they're now going out doing flag waves. Uh, they're, they're responsible for ongoing vandalism campaigns. They go to public parks and they, you know, they do combat and survivalist training to prepare themselves for the, the race war to come that they, they think is eminent. Mind you, they've been thinking it's eminent since 1950. But... Um, most of them are not organized. Like we, our attention is drawn to neo Nazis and, and groups like the Proud Boys and so on, or the Oath Keepers in the United States, for instance. Um, but a lot of it is networked. In other words, these are people that are might be radicalized online on on Telegram or Twitter or something, uh, and they share these ideas. But they're not necessarily part of a group, and they're not necessarily acting in coordination. They do sometimes. I mean, we've seen. 
um, you know, for instance, the the protests, the Freedom Convoy protests aimed at uh, drag shows and that are, are uh, lately it's it, in vogue for them to attack the LGBTQ uh, plus community. But by and large, a lot of it tends to be one off, you know, people who've had their views powered by stuff they've encountered online, but they're acting uh, alone, as it were. Okay, well, and you've partially answered this question already, but I wanted to pursue this line of reasoning, which is what sort of an overlap is there, or did it act as a petri dish in some ways, the convoy protests? The, the convoy protests were part of a sort of a witch's brew of stuff that has pushed people to the margins. So uh, you had uh, the, the pandemic, you know, which, which impacted everybody uh, in, in a deleterious fashion in one way or another. Uh, then you had uh, economic downturn that's connected to it. We've had the rise of inflation, the rise of high prices, concerns over uh, politics, whether that's uh, you know concerns over climate change, concerns over what's going on with China, the war in Russia. All of these incidences have created kind of a perfect storm of stuff. And then when you have something like the Freedom Convoy, which has pushed conspiracy theories, uh, which has pushed. I mean, you had. I mean, the Ottawa occupation had figures in it like Pat King, who has openly embraced uh, white nationalist ideas. Um, that the one of the things that we found in our reporting was that the Freedom Convoy, you know, networks act as like a pipeline of extremism. So even if a group is not necessarily say white nationalist in purpose. In, in its group, you will have all kinds of crazy ideas from flat earthers to neo-Nazis, and it becomes a gateway for people to find more extremist stuff, and that's how they uh, can become radicalized. And where do you take this in the conclusion of your series? Well, one of the things we're looking at today is um, what can be done about it. And there's a, there's a number, I mean, it's quite a, they're, they're quite long stories, as you know, but we're looking at... Um, how the police are trying to tackle this, how community groups um, are trying to find ways to deal with this because they feel let down by the police or the government, uh, and efforts to uh, provide de-radicalization and sort of counseling for people who have gone down these rabbit holes to kind of get them out of it uh, and, and hopefully get them away from the kind of hatred that they've been pushing. So there's a number of avenues that you'll read about today that uh, groups across the province are trying to enact to make the situation better. Because as you say, we did have in day one, we had Matthew Green, who is a uh, NDP MP from Hamilton, talk about this as a linchpin moment. And if that pin comes out of the grenade, it's from his point of view and the point of view of many others, we're at a point where it's only going to be a matter of time before someone does something really extreme. And so the idea is, can we get a handle on this sort of incivility and hatred now before it turns into something worse? Thank you very much for this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Grant LaFleche with the Hamilton Spectator, who, along with Karina Walter and Steve Cornwell, uh, put together this three-part series. And one of the amazing stories, and I don't imagine this would work today, but it certainly did back in the 1950s when people were trying to figure out how to fight the KKK. This one guy decided he would fight the KKK, KKK by joining it.